Glad you're here. We're about midway through. It's an even number of sermons, so that's why I said about midway through. Midway through a series that we are calling Follow. And if you weren't here for the first couple of weeks, I would certainly let you know that you would benefit from going back and watching the sermons that you missed. You can find them on our website at hammockstreetchurch.com. You could find them on our YouTube channel. Check those out. You can catch up. But here's the premise. The premise is that 2,000 years ago when Jesus showed up on earth, he invited people to follow him. So last or the week before last and the one before that, we talked about some of the people that Jesus invited to follow him. And when we were going through kind of the identity of those people, we discovered two things. The first thing was that the people that Jesus invited to follow him, just as he invites you to follow him and he invites me to follow him, these people had questions. They had questions and they also had doubts. So we talked about that in the first two messages. So here in the third message, we're going to start by answering or at least trying to answer another question. And here's the question we're going to try to answer. What is the end game of following Jesus? Where are we going when we say follow Jesus? If you, if you become a follower of Jesus, if you have gone to him and you've said, Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner and I ask for your forgiveness. Lord, I understand that you, that you died for my sins and then you rose from the dead to pay for those sins. And so to follow you, when I follow you, I wanna, I wanna turn from my own sins and I wanna turn to you and I wanna give you my heart and I wanna give you my life. And Lord, I promise to trust and follow you forever as my Lord and Savior. If you surrender your life to Jesus like that, then what becomes of your life on earth? What's the benefit of this earthly Life. And today we're going to discover that it might not be what you think. Today we're going to discover that it's not that if you follow Jesus, you'll become a better person. If you do follow Jesus, you will become a better person. I mean, that is true, but that's not the purpose of doing it. But if you follow Jesus, you'll forgive quicker and you'll be more loving and you'll be more kind and you won't worry about some of the things that perhaps you used to worry about. So, so one of the benefits of following Jesus is you'll be a better person, but, but that's not the main thing. Because when you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, which are the first four books of the New Testament, that we call them the gospel, you're not going to find Jesus saying anything like, follow me and I'll make you a better person. He, de- he never says that. Now, the other thing is when you read the gospels, you don't find Jesus saying, and this one's, this one is a tough one. You don't find Jesus saying, follow me so that you can go to heaven. Now, this is a theological issue. So please stay with me. I'm making sort of a nuanced point here. We understand that when we give our life to Jesus and when we understand what Jesus's blood has done to wash away our sin and allow us to spend eternity with God in heaven, we understand that that is what salvation is all about. But following Jesus during our lives, he doesn't say the only reason you're following me is to go to heaven. In fact, if you read the scripture Jesus doesn't really talk about going to heaven all that much. He talks about the kingdom of God and he talks about the kingdom of heaven. But if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the theme of Jesus's ministry really had very little to do with where you will spend eternity. The theme of the on earth ministry, I don't want to be misunderstood. But in fact, there's a really interesting story which will kind of prove the point I'm talking about. You may be familiar with this story. Jesus was talking to this guy who was not a follower 
And basically, Jesus promised him heaven. Do you remember that story? Jesus was crucified. And he was crucified in between two criminals. We like to say thieves, but they weren't really thieves. They were criminals. So he was crucified between two criminals. And there was a criminal crucified on one side of him who was taunting him and saying all these horrible things. But then there was another criminal who said, we've committed sin. We are criminals. We deserve this punishment. He doesn't. And, and Jesus told that criminal after he said, please remember me when you're in your kingdom. Jesus said, you're going to be with me in paradise. But that guy never had an opportunity to follow Jesus with his life. He followed Jesus with his heart. He gave Jesus his heart, but he didn't follow him with his life, seeing that he was crucified and he was about to be dead. So when you think about it, that criminal admitted that he deserved to be crucified. He was a bad person, but he didn't follow Jesus for one minute during his life. But he recognized at the very, very, very end, like right at the last minute, who Jesus was. And Jesus said, today you're going to be with me in paradise. And what it means that, it means is this, and this is a tough one. It means that technically you can live your life any way you want. And if at the very last minute of your life, you sincerely believe in your heart that Jesus is the savior, you can go to paradise. I don't know how you interpret that scripture. Otherwise, that guy did nothing good his entire life. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. Now, I would not recommend your taking that approach. But listen, it's free country. You think you know exactly when that last minute is and your heart has an absolute authentic change? Well, that's where you want to play it. That's your call. But I don't suggest it. But there's one more thing that you can conclude from that. The message of follow me throughout the gospels isn't just so you can go to heaven. Now, here's what's interesting also. The other thing that Jesus didn't attach to following him was the message that following Jesus will result in a pain-free, problem-free life. Now, a lot of times we think that's the case. If I just give my life to Jesus, oh, everything's gonna be, oh, just beautiful roses and honey and chirping birds and all that stuff. Now, by the way, that's not the case, but it doesn't stop pastors from working to convince people that it is the case. So I wanna teach you this. If a Christian ever comes to you and says... If you do these three things, you can always expect this certain outcome. Or if you pray this special prayer uh, and you do it the right way, you get on your knees and you cry and all that stuff. If anyone ever says to you, if you do this, I guarantee you that God is gonna do something for you. If some Christian tells you that, that is not Christianity, okay? That's not following Jesus. You know what that is? It's called magic. That's what that's called right? What's magic? Magic is an extraordinary power or influence over a result that appears to come from, appears to emanate from a supernatural source. In other words, magic is when you do something a certain way and it produces a specific result that you attribute to supernatural powers. And now today's message is not about magic, I promise you, but I do want you to know this. All magic appears to work some of the time. And unfortunately, over the years, magic thinking got mixed in with Jesus thinking. And the next thing you know, people were trying to do things in a particular way, in a certain way, to get God to do their bidding. And I want to give you just one example of this. Anybody know who this is? My Catholic friends? Where are my Catholic friends at? Who's that? That's St. Joseph. 
That's a statue of St. Joseph. If you like this statue of St. Joseph, you can go to walmart.com and purchase this one for $18.43. That's how much it is. It comes complete with instructions too. Telling you that, I hope some of you know this, if you bury this statue in your yard, upside down, what happens? Come on, Catholics, let's go. What do you got? You sell your house, right? That's the story. If you take this statue that you bought from walmart.com and you bury it in your lawn upside down, your house will sell. And then when your house sells, you'll tell your friends about it, okay? Now, I hope you know that the only people that this will really benefit, the only people that this ritual is really gonna help are the people who sell the St. Joseph statues, right? Because that's magic, and there's always a sale involved with magic. Jesus did not come to be your magician. And whenever you see people trying to blend scripture and Jesus says, or the Bible and Jesus says, with these kind of formulas, please know that it has absolutely nothing to do with following Jesus. And that pain-free, problem-free was never Jesus's message. See, if you're going to follow Jesus, you should know the truth about where it's gonna lead. But I'm not just gonna tell you about that truth. In a minute, we're gonna look at a passage of scripture and see it together. And then once we surface this truth, when you go ahead and read the gospels on your own, I always encourage you to do so. Go read through the gospels. They're not difficult reading, but you're gonna see it everywhere. Once you see it, you're gonna see it everywhere in the gospels because Jesus was incredibly consistent. Jesus didn't say, follow me so you'll be a better person. And he didn't say, follow me so you'll go to heaven. And he didn't say, follow me so you'll have a pain-free, problem-free life. Jesus said, follow me because Jesus wants to do something extraordinary in and through you. And just as the people in the first century struggle with this, the people in the 21st century have to struggle with this as well. So here's what we're gonna do today. We're gonna look at this sort of an obscure conversation between Jesus and the disciples. And in this conversation, we're gonna see it. We're gonna see that finish line, the end game to following Jesus. In the conversation, we're gonna discover the place where Jesus wants to lead you and where Jesus wants to lead me. And we'll discover the place where we will end up as followers of Jesus. So you owe it to yourself to know this. So if you're ready, let's pray and then we'll dig in. Heavenly Father, we thank you for gathering us together this morning. We thank you for just the fellowship that you're creating, the community that you're building, and this opportunity that we have to get to know your word, the infallible word. So God, as we continue on this morning, we ask that you would open our hearts and minds to receive your message in Jesus' name. Amen. So before I read the passage that we'll be working on, uh, just a little bit of background. The scene we're going to be looking at was at the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. And at that time, there were three groups, three types of people who followed Jesus everywhere. Now, in the first group of people who followed Jesus, these were the people who lived wherever Jesus showed up. Okay, they lived in the town. So Jesus would show up in a town, the locals would be there, they would come out to see him and they would kind of follow him around and then he would leave that town and they would just go back to their houses, okay, or go back to their homes. Now, the second group that followed Jesus were a group of people who kind of traveled with him. You guys old enough to remember the Grateful Dead? So they're like deadheads. Okay, they just sort of followed the band around. Okay, so that's what these were, the people who followed him around. 
I just realized what I did, so I'm not really sure. So take this with a grain of salt. I just called Lazarus, Mary, and Martha deadheads, but I didn't mean to do that. But, but it kind of worked out that way. So that's kind of the second group. They were people that followed Jesus everywhere, but they weren't part of the 12 apostles. And then the third group, of course, was the 12 apostles. And, and they were Jesus's closest friends. They were a group who followed Jesus everywhere. They're his inner circle. They're the ones you've heard of. They're the guys to whom he would entrust his message and his ministry. All right? So kind of that's how that worked. Now, in that day and age, it was very common for a teacher, for a rabbi, just merely a Hebrew word for teacher, to have an inner circle of hand-picked people. So in Matthew 10, Matthew describes the time that Jesus finally said, all right, I got to narrow this down. And he picks 12 men that we know of as the disciples or as the apostles. And then after Jesus picked them, he sat them down. So Jesus picks these 12 guys and he sits them down and he says, okay, now that you're part of this inner circle, let me tell you what you're going to do. I'm, I'm going to send you out into the world with the message that I've been preaching. And I'm going to give you the, the power. I'm going to empower you to do some of the things that I'm doing. So now, here's where to go. Here's how long I want you to stay. Here's what to do if this happens, and here's what to do if that happens. So Jesus gave the disciples these instructions. And by the way, Matthew was there, and he wrote all this stuff down. And and John was there too, and he wrote all this stuff down. And then Jesus gave them a bit of a surprise. And that's what we're going to read from today in the book of Matthew, where Jesus was telling the inner circle what he wanted them to do. And it's here that we're going to discover where God wants to take us as well. Now, one more thing before we read. The specific things that Jesus told the disciples that they would experience are not the specific things that are going to happen to you. And I want you to know that before I read it, because when I say it, if you think these things are going to happen to you, you're going to run. Like you're going to get up and you're going to run out of the room. Don't let this scare you off. Okay? You with me? Good. So let's listen to a conversation between Jesus and his closest disciples. We're going to jump in in the middle of the conversation. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to open up to Matthew 10, or you can trust that I put it up here uh, sort of in, in earnest. I've given you the accurate scriptures. Here it is, Matthew 10, 16. Jesus said to his disciples, I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Now you have to imagine they're following Jesus, and he just got done telling them that he's about to send them out to the wolves, to which they probably went, "Uh uh-oh, like, what have we signed on for? There's conflict ahead? So here's Jesus, he continues, he says, okay, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils, and you will be flogged in the synagogues. I imagine that they paused a moment, and one of them said, wait, wait a second, did you just say we're going to be flogged in the synagogues? And Jesus probably said, yeah, that's what I said. And then Jesus continued to tell them what else is going to happen to them in the days to come. Now remember, again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the gospels. They're about Jesus. But after the gospels, we get to the book of Acts. A-C-T-S. I always feel like I'm saying like acts, like a Viking uses, but that's not what I'm saying. It's acts, A-C-T-S. And that tells us what happened after the resurrection. That tells us what happened after Jesus's earthly ministry, what happened to the disciples. So we get information from acts, but Jesus tells us things in the gospel. So in that moment, the disciples heard Jesus, but they didn't really believe the things that Jesus said 
would happen to them because from what they could see, things were going really well. Like their present, like their moment at that time was going really well because there were thousands of people who went wherever Jesus went. And the closer you were to Jesus, the more popular you were with those people. So when they couldn't get close to Jesus, they got close to the disciples. And you know, that's kind of an ego boost. It's like, wow, I'm with this special guy. I'm special too. But Jesus was letting them know, "Uh uh-uh, things aren't gonna be good forever. Things are going to change. You're going to be arrested and you're going to be flogged in the synagogue. You know, people died from floggings. Remember, we've talked about that. The cat of nine tails that they used in the flogging, it's this whip with nine strands and it has glass and it has metal and hooks and things that tear flesh off the body. If they didn't die, they'd be permanently scarred. They could never go to the beach again without somebody knowing that they were flogged. And Jesus told them, that's what you're facing. And that wasn't it because Jesus kept going. He said to them, on my account, you're going to be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them. What's a witness? Remember, I always tell you guys this. A witness is somebody who saw something and then can testify about it. I saw something happen to me, and I'm telling you what happened to me. That's what we're called when we're called to be witnesses. I saw what God did in my life, and I'm going to tell you about it. I'm going to testify about it. Well, by the way, Jesus said, you're going to be brought before governors and kings. This happened. This happened. One day, they're going to be witnesses to the things that Jesus did and not just to the things that Jesus said. And Jesus was telling them this was going to happen. And he said, and things aren't going to go well for you as a result of that. But here Jesus keeps going, verse 19. But when they arrest you, not if they arrest you, when they arrest you. I imagine at this point, they kind of get nervous, right? When you're arrested and they're going like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. I thought we were joining a movement here. I thought we we're joining a movement to bring in the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is coming. Jesus, you're so popular. Like, what do you mean when we're arrested? Jesus said, but when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. Do not worry about what to say and how to say it. Now, now, I don't know what they were thinking. Again, I'm, I'm adding a bit in here, I'm not adding to the scripture. I'm just trying to understand the disciples. But, but I'm pretty sure they were thinking, yeah, I'm not going to be really worried about what I'm going to say or how I'm going to say it. I'm going to be a lot more worried about the fact that I've been arrested, right? So Jesus is saying, hey, when you're arrested, don't worry about what to say. And they're like, when we're arrested, what we say is about the least of our worries, What are you getting at, Jesus? But when they arrest you, don't worry about what to say or how to say it. Because at that time, you will be given what to say. Still confusing. And I got to imagine the disciples were still confused here. They had to be thinking, boss, you're still not understanding our question. We don't want to be given what to say. We don't want to be told when to say it. We want to be kept out of jail. I mean, seriously, Jesus, you neglected to tell us that part. I mean, yes, we're following, and yes, we want to be in your inner circle, but you never mentioned we'd be arrested and flogged. Jesus continued, for it won't be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. So remember what we're trying to do here. We're trying to understand how the disciples reacted to what Jesus said. So continuing the conversation that we're looking at, here's a guess on how it was going down. Upon hearing Jesus, I imagine the disciples We're saying, let's get this straight. We're going to be arrested. We're going to be flogged. 
We're going to be put on trial. But in the middle of that trial, God's going to get involved. And Jesus said, yeah, your heavenly father is going to get involved. He's going to give you the exact words to say. And they respond, okay, question. If God, my heavenly father, knows I'm going to be arrested and knows I'm going to be flogged and he's going to get involved enough to give me the exact words to say, why doesn't God, my heavenly father, just get me unarrested? (laughs) What's up with that? Or better yet, why doesn't God, my, my heavenly father, who knows all this is going on, why doesn't he keep me from being arrested in the first place? Jesus, I know you're telling me I need to have confidence and I need to not be afraid because God's involved, but that's not exactly how I want God to be involved. I'm not just looking for the words. And then Jesus, because he knew the future, the future which we will confirm later in the book of Acts, here's what he says. Brother will betray brother to death. And father, a father, his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. We'll see that in Acts that the people who were following Jesus were turned in by their family members. And then Jesus sums it all up for them in verse 22. You will be hated by everyone because of me. And I got to imagine they're going, no one told us this part. They, right now, everybody loves us because of you. People can't get enough of us because of you. They're, they're handing us notes saying, hey, give this to Jesus. Or they're slipping us money and saying, give this to Jesus, Right? They can't get to you. So they're trying to get to us. And Jesus said, well, hang on because it's going to turn and you're going to be hated. I want you to read the rest of that on your own. But then Jesus gets to the end. So skip ahead a few verses to Matthew 10, 28. And here's what Jesus says. He says, don't be afraid. So Jesus, let, let me know if we got this straight, okay? We're going to be arrested, but we shouldn't be afraid. Then we're going to be beaten and flogged, but we shouldn't be afraid. Then we're going to be put on trial for our lives and everybody is going to turn against us, but we shouldn't be afraid. Do we got that right so far? And it was at that moment that Jesus introduced them and Jesus introduces us to something that he went back to over and over and over again throughout his ministry. And it is very good news. It is very good news for you. It's very good news for me. Here's what Jesus said. Do not be afraid of those who can kill the body, but cannot kill, some translations say, or cannot touch the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now, the disciples didn't understand this till the very end of Jesus' ministry. The whole idea of being able to find themselves in difficult circumstances and yet refuse to let fear take hold was a process. It's an ongoing process. Jesus continued to explain to them. He says, listen, are not two sparrows sold for a penny? It seems like he changed tracks, but he didn't really. He starts off by saying, can't you buy just these birds for sacrifice for almost nothing? Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground outside of your father's care. And even the very hairs of your head are all numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. To which I'm sure they responded, but you just, and Jesus said, I know. And they said, but you just said, and Jesus said, I know. And they said, but you just told, and Jesus said, I know. But in spite of that, in the midst of that, don't be afraid because you're worth more than sparrows. 
And here's where Jesus took his disciples. And here's where Jesus takes us. He takes us to the place where our faith in God is so robust. A place where our faith makes us so secure in the Father's love that even in the midst of circumstances where it looks like God has forgotten us, And even in the midst of circumstances where it looks like maybe God didn't even know us to begin with, even in the midst of those circumstances, we can hear God whisper, fear not, for I am with you. You see, the message of Jesus was not, don't be afraid, I won't let anything bad happen. That's magic. The message of Jesus was, don't be afraid when bad things happen. That's confidence in God. That's faith. That's a confidence that's so big, a confidence that's so sure of God's love, a confidence that's so sure of God's protection that it actually overwhelms and overshadows our fear. You see, where God wants to take you and where God wants to take me is to that place where we wake up every single day and ask ourselves the question, what would I do if I was absolutely confident that God was with me? And Jesus says, I want you to follow me because when you follow me, that's where I'm going to take you. Jesus wants to take us to a place, not of magic, not of denial, not of figure out the formula to get Jesus to do do what you want him to do. But Jesus wants to take you to a place where your faith in God is so solid that even in the midst of circumstances that should terrify you, you will not be afraid. Now, here's a couple of examples. Right in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus called out his followers for the lack of faith. You remember this? It comes to us from Matthew chapter 6, verse 30. You of little faith, do not worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. If you have confidence in God, You're not going to be controlled by those kind of fears because God is large and in charge. God's in charge. So even when there's not enough food or not enough drink or not enough baby formula, even when you know where you're going to spend the night, even though you don't know where you're going to spend the night, whichever, don't be afraid. Why not? Because your confidence is not in the one that can destroy the body but can't touch the soul. Your confidence is in the one who controls and knows your name and shields your soul. You need to have a faith, a faith in God that's so big that even in the midst of circumstances where everyone else is afraid, you are not. That's where following Jesus ultimately leads. Here's one more example. One day, Jesus and the disciples were out on a boat and they headed out across the Sea of Galilee and a storm blew in. We've talked about this Sea of Galilee sat in between hills and when the, when the wind would come up over the hill, the sea would become very rough and very, very choppy and very dangerous. Well, Jesus was asleep in the bow of the boat and the boat was filling with water and they woke him up and they said, hey, don't you care about us? We're gonna perish. And Jesus stood up and he calmed the storm and then he said to them, why are you so afraid? You still have no faith? Well, they said, I don't don't know if you're paying attention, boss, but there was a storm a minute ago. That's why we were afraid. And Jesus was like, I know there's a storm. And I know that the boat was filling up with water. And I I know you weren't going to be able to swim your way out of this, but that's not what I asked you. What I asked you was, why are you afraid? Isn't that strange? 
Jesus took them to this over and over and over again. I, I, I know we're about to go under, but why were you afraid? Do you still have no faith? Do you still not believe that your heavenly father cares more about you than little birds? Yeah, but why the storm? Yeah, but why the lack of faith? And then an interesting thing happened. Scripture says Jesus, after he calmed the storm, after he said all that stuff, the apostles were terrified. In other words, their fear of the storm was over here and their fear of Jesus was over here. Like they're afraid of the storm and then this guy stops the storm. Like, whoa, who is this guy? Suddenly they got a picture of what it means to fear the one who can control the destiny of your soul and refuse to fear anybody who can just harm the body. See, in that moment, they got it. Oh my gosh, that's what you meant when you said fear not because your heavenly father knows what you need. It means that I can be in terrifying circumstances and still not fear. And Jesus said, yeah, that's what I'm trying to tell you. And when you go back and read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find that everywhere, which leads us to the question of why. Why would Jesus connect following him to, I want you to trust that God knows your name and loves you in spite of what you see? Why? Why is that the end game? Why is that where we're going? Well, here are a few thoughts. That kind of faith honors God. That's one of our main purposes is to honor God, to glorify God. That kind of faith honors God. When somebody sees you have that kind of faith, they go, wow, who is your God? He must be huge. And the second thing is this, that kind of faith allows us to love other people. Indeed, it's the only kind of faith that will, that will free us to love people that we didn't think we could ever love. See, if you're not afraid, you can love freely. Remember how Jesus said, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you? And you thought, okay, I, I kind of like the theory, but I'm going to have a tough time loving certain people. I mean, I barely love my friends. I barely, barely ever pray for my friends, if ever. But I don't think I'm going to be loving and praying for my enemies anytime soon. What else you got, Jesus? When we think about things that way, though, we kind of miss the point. See, Jesus wants, to, to, wants us to know that it's only when our faith in God is solid enough to honor him in all that we do and fear nobody but him as we do so, because he's the only one capable of determining our eternal destination and not just damaging our bodies. It's only when we figure that out that we'll be freed. We'll be free and open and equipped to love even those people who hate us, even those people who want to harm us just as Jesus loved. Because here's what John, remember John was the one closest to Jesus and he was with Jesus the whole time. Here's what he said in 1 John 4. He said, there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. And when you get rid of fear, when you, when you get rid of the fear of the people who can just hurt your life, when that fear goes away, all of a sudden your capacity to love opens up because there is no fear in love. Perfect love drives out fear. Fear and love are incompatible. So the only way to love the world is to get rid of the fear of man and get rid of the fear of things that could hurt you in this life. By the way, have you ever met anybody who was there you ever meet anybody who had that kind of faith? I'm, I'm sure you've run into those people in your life. I've run into a handful of them. They're, they're amazing people, aren't they? I, I had a friend who was dying of a, of a brain tumor. 
he had such faith. He was not afraid of a thing. He witnessed and ministered to so many people before he went home. It was amazing. They're amazing people. When the world's falling apart, they say things like, I see what God's up to. Or, you know what? We have to trust God. Or, well, this didn't take God by surprise. I have a missionary who friend, a friend who likes to say, let's just pretend that our God is sovereign. Yeah. We know people who say, God can use this for his good. Or, this isn't what I, have cho- I would have chosen, but this is what God's chosen, and I'm gonna trust him and see what he does with it. You ever meet people like that? It is impressive. They really do have a confidence in God. If you know somebody who's that kind of faith, it is so powerful. There's a faith that overwhelms fear and that's where Jesus wants to lead us. And there's something in every one of us that wants that kind of faith, isn't there? Now, the guy that probably understood that better than anyone is the apostle Paul. Remember, Paul experienced persecution, a kind of persecution that none of us has ever experienced or will ever experience. We won't even come close. See, for his faith, Paul was rejected by his people. He was beaten. He was stoned. He was imprisoned. He was deserted. He was targeted for murder. He was oppressed and he was shipwrecked. And yet when he was writing to the Christians in Rome, here's what he said. We know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and who've been called according to his purpose. After all that Paul endured, that was his faith. And later on in the same letter, he said, for I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor a- neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What could possibly make me doubt Jesus's love for me? Trouble, hardship, persecution. Let me add a few, joblessness prodigal children, diminishing health, relationship changes, politicians, parties, division, racism, hate. None of those things, none of those things our Savior told us to fear not. Just imagine, imagine living life with that kind of faith. Imagine living with a faith in God that overwhelms all fear. And that's where your Savior wants to lead you. Now, I know what some of you are thinking and that's okay. You're thinking, Russell, I would love to think that there is a faith that's so big that it could overwhelm my fear, but I'm not there yet. You feeling that? Well, if it makes you feel any better, I'm not there yet either. That's why Jesus didn't say, lesson number one, go apply this and then you're all done. He didn't say that. That's why Jesus invited us to follow. Because regardless of what you believe and regardless of how well or not so well you've behaved, when you begin to follow Jesus, your faith begins to grow and your faith begins to expand and get broader and broader. And before long, your faith will allow you to endure things that you never thought you'd be able to handle. Jesus said, I want you to follow me and I want you to fear not because I am with you. And here's the good news. Even his closest disciples, even the apostles didn't get this till the very, very end. Over and over, Jesus would test them and over and over they would fall short. And Jesus would keep saying, do you still not believe? And they'd say, we're trying, but it's hard. 
It's hard to be in a sinking ship and fear not. And Jesus says, well, then answer this question for me. Why? Why are you still so afraid? I think we just haven't quite got our confidence in the one that controls the destiny of our soul. We still have our confidence in and our future remains locked on the things and the people that can kill the body. And Jesus says, well, then follow me. Because one day you'll get to the place where you'll be able to say with the apostle Paul, we believe. In fact, we know all things, all things work together for the good of those who love their heavenly father and are called according to his purpose. So in the midst of all the challenges of life, as you follow your savior who says to you, I have told you these things so that in me you may have, you may have, you may have peace. Jesus said, in this world, you might have trouble possibly. No, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. Will, take it to the bank, but take heart for I have overcome the world. Jesus says, if you follow me, I will lead you to that place where your faith overshadows and overcomes all of your fears. Jesus said, follow me because that's where I want to take you. Amen? Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, you know how we struggle with this. Even as we pray right now, you know the excuses that we're making in our heads for why we don't think we'll ever have this kind of faith. So Father, we ask that you equip us to absorb all that we've heard today and give every one of us the confidence in you to release our fear and embrace our faith as you move in and through us, through ourselves, through our situations, through our circumstances, enabling us to draw closer to you and allowing us to love those around us as you do. God, give us eyes to see and wisdom to know what to do with what we've just heard and lead us until we can say, along with the Apostle Paul, that we know every single thing you're working for your good and your purposes through those who follow and believe. Lord, help us with our unbelief and teach us to follow. In Jesus' name, amen.